Welcome to Web of Tomorrow. I'm Adam Garrett-Harris. This week I talked with Carl Hughes, who is the CTO of the Grade Network in Chicago, and he's the creator of the side project Marketing Checklist. I've been a software engineer for the last five or six years at startups, mostly in the education technology space. But I've always had um, a kind of an entrepreneurial bent. I've always been interested in having at least one or two little side projects running. So those things have varied a bit over the years. But um, I found that my biggest challenge as a developer was making a plan and sticking to it for marketing. So what I would t- typically do is I, I'd like build this really cool product, like all software engineers, I just over overbuild the, the thing. And then I would try to sort of reverse engineer my audience from that. I would just go try to find people who were immediately going to appreciate it as much as I did. Of course, that means like posting it to a few websites and then I, I would see nobody picks it up. There's no traction. Nobody cares about it as much as I do um, because it is my baby after all. And, and I just kind of would like lose hope and give up and move on to the next project. So a lot of my little side projects and, you know, a lot of them are sitting around on GitHub these days, but they're basically just a little early first attempt at a product that I never got off the ground. So what I realized was I, miss, I was missing consistency and I was missing like a long-term plan. And I was looking at these projects like they were going to get magically picked up by the, the tech press or something. And I was going to, you know, skyrocket into to fame. The reality is most people with side projects, when you only have a few hours a week to devote to them, they get by and they or they figure out how to make it work by just consistently doing it over a long period of time. So I started to internalize this, that consistency over time is what's going to make these things eventually go somewhere or, or maybe they don't go somewhere. But either way, I'm not going to really find out because I won't be able to build an audience without some kind of like consistent message done over time. So anyway, I had been working at small startups where there was less than 10 or 20 people in the company. And so I was sitting right next to our marketing people all the time. So I picked up a lot of tricks from them. I read a lot online, you know, when I had my side projects and was really trying to figure out how to get them out. Um, I would read uh, things on Reddit and Hacker News. And um, I've really liked this site that's come up in the last year or so called Indie Hackers, where it's a lot of um, a lot of web developers and, and uh, programmers talking about side projects that they actually make money from. And that's been really inspiring because the one thing that I noticed that all these um, successful side projects had was a good grasp on the marketing. So while it was great to build a, a cool product, which all of us as engineers want to do, the other 50% at least of the, the problem in getting people to use it is making them aware that it exists and then standing out from the crowd. So anyway, started learning a little bit about marketing, talking to people about it, reading. I've read several books on it that I thought were interesting, and I'll have to pull up my book list and see if I can find those later. But uh, a lot of articles and all that. And I put together the first version of this checklist a few weeks ago that was just a, a compilation of what I had in my brain already. And then I kind of started thinking about it more intentionally and like adding to it, organizing things a bit. Um, and then, you know, next thing I know, I, I put it up on GitHub, posted it around to a few people. A lot of people liked it. And then um, it kind of steamrolled and it really took off the last three weeks or so. Um, and so it went trending on Hacker News and did the rounds on several different blogs and uh, websites. I saw some site in German linking to it. And I was like, man, this is like really cool. It's really cool to see your work. Um, 
you know, this is the first thing I think I've made that's gone semi-viral like this. And it's, it's cool to see your work appreciated by people all across the world and then know that you're, you're actually helping them in some way, you know, and I hope that that's, that's really the big thing to me to take away from this whole project um, has been that it's just really cool to feel like you've impacted other developers and maybe helped improve their side projects as well. Awesome. So d- did you market this checklist or did you just kind of put, put, it, put this out there? You know, it's funny. Um, I, I did. I sort of started off using the checklist to market the checklist, which is appropriate. Um, so the first thing that I did once I had like a, I'll call it an MVP, a minimum viable product for the checklist, just a very simple thing was I, I started posting it around a, a couple of the subreddits that are popular among um, side project people. So there's like one called R Side Projects. There's another one that's like our startups. Um, and I just put it out there and I got a couple people who had some um, some things to say, had some contributions or just like improvements I could make and I kind of refined it a bit. And once it was a little more cleaned up and I had a website and I had an email sign up list, I then put it out into Hacker News and that's where it really got the most steam. And so it was trending on GitHub for a few days. Um, and, you know, that just brings in more people and then they share it on Twitter and everywhere else. And so it's, you know, this thing, once you get a little steam, it starts to pile up. And the interesting thing about it, Adam, was once I started to see people interested in it, it really encouraged me to actually take it a little more seriously. Like I initially put it out there as like, hey, I'll throw this thing out there. I worked on it for a couple of weeks. And if nobody likes it, then fine. I'll just, you know, use it myself and no harm, no foul. Right. So why, uh, why a checklist? Uh, one of the things I've found really helpful has been um, building checklists for my own workflow in managing and working with other engineers. So um, as I've managed a team and hired a team of engineers, I've come up with a checklist for just about everything. And I, that probably got, a, that idea got started maybe um, three or four years ago when I read The Checklist Manifesto, which is a book by Atul Gwandi. He's a really great writer, kind of a on the in the same vein as Malcolm Gladwell and that he makes these like really um, good like scientific um, topics more digestible and you know packages them into a 300 page paperback book that you can read on the beach and enjoy it so uh, in the checklist manifesto he talks a lot about how hospitals use checklists to ensure that all the proper steps are taken before surgeries or after surgeries to clean everything up and in hospitals that use it the error rate goes way down and um, in building software one of the things that I you know I'm always thinking about is what is our error rate and how do we bring it down lower or how do we improve the the amount of software we get shipped every week and so I think a lot in terms of checklists because at the end of the week when we do our deployments, there's a checklist of things that I kind of do. Um, when new team members come on, I have a checklist of things that I, I sort of onboard them with. Uh, when I do hiring, I have a checklist of process, like a process that I go through for the new hires um, for interviewing and all that. And so a checklist to me felt really natural um, for this project, for, for doing side project marketing because uh, I don't have a ton of time. I don't have 40 hours a week to do marketing for my side projects. This is something that I'm trying to get done in a few hours a week. And then next week, I want to pick it up where I left off. And so checklist seems like a very natural uh, way to store it, at least for me. Awesome. Yeah. So it seems like a form of automation, except you can't, some stuff you can't automate. So you just have to write a checklist and do it manually. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, it's something I talk with my, um, 
with my team, the non-technical team here at the Grade Network where I work full-time. And um, what happens a lot of times is they come to me with an idea for improving the platform. And I usually tell them, before I build it, or before we get the team to build it, can you do it manually? Can you do like, can you build a checklist and sort of like manually coerce the, the stuff that we need to build it and test it out before we spend engineering time on it? And the reason is not because engineers are special. It's just that it's in man hours expensive to build software. Uh, it's much cheaper to spend a couple weeks testing something out and knowing what it is you want to build before you actually do it. And so for this this project with the, the side project um, marketing checklist, it, it's sort of the same idea. It's like, I don't know what I want to do when I'm marketing a side project because I'm not an expert in marketing. And to be honest, marketing is a bit of a like trial and error game. And so what I wanted to do was have this big checklist of ideas that I could try. Once I hit on a few of them that are really working well, I might stick with those and just continue repeating those ad, ad nauseum. But I may also just keep moving down the list and trying things. Awesome. So let's let's get into the checklist then. What are kind of the major areas in the hierarchy of this list? Yeah, so you know, this is it's shifted a bit over the last couple of weeks as I've gotten some feedback from people, which has been really great because, um, you know, like I've, I've kind of mentioned, I'm not an expert in marketing, but uh, basically I tried to break it down into things you would do before you launch your product, things you would do as or right after you launch your product, and then things you might do to optimize the whole setup of, of everything. And that that's sort of the optimization section. It definitely still needs a lot of work. And I think, um, the reason is that, that it's a it's an area where I haven't gotten many of my side projects too, um, because most of them are still in that early like pre or just after release phase. Uh, and then there's also a section on recurring tasks that you can do. And you sort of, as you customize the checklist for your project, you're kind of going to want to move things around a bit, and that's typically what I do. Um, but for example, let's just kind of take a look at or. You can listen in to some of the stuff in, in the pre-launch part of the checklist. The first thing that I might do when I'm thinking about a side project is do some market research. So are there competitors for this idea that I have? And, and in most cases, there are if it's a decent idea. And that's a good thing. It's not like that should you know turn us off the idea. That should really just encourage us to pursue it a little further, find a new niche in that market. Um, if there are competitors, can I get some basic data from Alexa or um, can I see stuff about them on uh, websites like uh, similar sites or Product Hunt? Um, then I would might do move into like a customer research phase where I try to talk to a lot of people who might be customers. So some of the things that I would do here typically is like one, I would try to find any friends or contacts I already have on LinkedIn who might know something about this product or this area. And um, from there, from there, I try to get introductions to other people who might know other people who would be interested in it. And the goal is not to sell them because at this point, I probably don't even have a real product. I might just have like an idea for a product or maybe the bare bones, you know, version of a product. Uh, but what I want to do is figure out what direction to take my product in before I really get into like forming a landing page and launching things and all that. So. Um, Anyway, you know, as you go along through the checklist, it's kind of going to, ideally, it's going to guide you through some just ideas for all these different phases of your product. Um, and I didn't include launch your product as like a specific bullet point on the list. I think somebody mentioned, why didn't you include that? <laughs> and I think, because I think it's just going to depend on when you're ready to launch your product. You know, some developers are really... Um, 
they, they probably take too long to launch and some people might launch too early and I don't know the answer to that question. So that's going to be something you're going to come up with. The other criticism that I get commonly from people, you know, uh, and I'll just call them like arm, armchair quarterbacking the list is um, they kind of say, well, this is too much stuff. No one would ever have time to do all this. Right. And that's totally true. That's not I don't use the checklist as an exhaustive list that I'm going to do every one of these items for my little side project. The way I use it is I'll just basically the first first week of working on the checklist is just calling out the things I'm not going to do on this checklist. So it's just or reorganizing a bit, it's tweaking things a bit based on what I know about my product, my market, and the amount of time I'm going to have to devote to it. Yeah, yeah, it definitely seems like a bunch of stuff. And, uh, you know, I can tell right off the bat you don't need to do all of them. There's, there's a section on finding competitors, and there's just a list of tons of ideas. And I didn't even know I mean, Alexa, what is this exactly? Is this the Amazon? Yeah, that's a good question. So a lot of these things, I figured that, you know, I put, I, I made the list exhaustive because I, I don't want to assume that you know anything about marketing because this, the audience for this checklist is people who aren't marketers. It's people like me who are developers that have, you know, some kind of project they want to get out there. So putting Alexa in there, like marketing people, of course, they know all about it because it's like, duh to them. But to me, this was like a new thing, finding this. And basically what Alexa does is it allows you to look at audiences of websites and see how they overlap. And it especially does this by like shared keywords and things like that. So in other words, um, if I go to Alexa and I look at google.com, let's see what comes up. It's going to tell me Google's competitors. Um, it's going to tell me the sites that are sharing similar traffic to Google. So what comes up is YouTube, Wikipedia, Facebook, Yahoo. So it's like all the other big, um, highly ranked websites. Now, once you get into more niche areas, this is actually a little more useful because it'll, it'll typically start to like tell you, kind of show you similar audiences that have similar industries. So that's a good one. I actually have been using lately, um, one, and I don't even know if it's on the list. I may have to add this, but it's called SimilarSiteSearch.com, and you can put and in. You've got a, a, uh, similar sites, is that it? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a different one. <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> like, there's. A, it, it's funny because, yeah. So similar sites is probably is a good example, but um, basically, you know, on their homepage they tell you to search for eBay, and it's going to show you a bunch of other sh- online shopping places. Um, so anyway, it's useful to look at this kind of stuff because. Um, if you've got a product that might, um, it might in some way compete with some of these bigger companies, you want to know about them. And to me, the, the easiest way to sort of know how to market your product is to look at somebody who's already doing it successfully and sort of use them as a template rather than try to like be this, I don't know, creative force who builds your own marketing campaign from the ground up. It's like, do what works for people who know what's working and then inject a little bit of your own personality. Yeah, I, I love this part about subscribe to RSS feeds of your competitors, follow them on social media, Google News Alerts. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, it's knowledge is power. And like, to me, the the most helpful thing to do to like decide how to build my side projects has been just knowing more about the industry and knowing more about like the competitors in the space and the news the news uh, outlets that cover that space. And once I start to like get a feel of like a lay of the land, um, it gets a lot easier to like figure out who my customers are and um, 
what they might be looking for and what sort of might be missing in the market as well. Yeah. So what the customers are commenting on their blogs and social media would be really good to look at. Yeah, you can totally do like you take a look at your competitor's blogs and you look at who's commenting. You take a look at who's following and retweeting your competitor's blog posts, um, who's following your competitors on LinkedIn. Like all these people are probably in some to some extent, they're customers or fans and they know something about that industry. Um, And so I've a lot of times just kind of like kept an eye on them or like use them as sort of a customer template um, where I, I just kind of see that these are the kind of people that follow my competitors. So maybe that's the kind of people I need to be reaching out to at some point. Cool. So, um, so we talked about looking at the competitors and then what about that's kind of, kind of similar to customer research. Yeah, it's similar. Although I, I think of customer research as a bit more directly talking to the customer, so that's why it's got its own area here. So when we're looking at our competitors, we're basically just saying, who else is in the market serving a similar market to me? And then when we talk about customer research, what we're saying is, okay, now let's go talk to a five or ten or twenty or a hundred of those customers and see what it is they really want and what the, what it is they're really paying for when they go to your competitors. Um, and then, you know, what I like to do is sort of think about those people I'm talking to and having those early conversations with, they're basically my early, you know, possible beta users in a way. And so, um, a lot of times they know other potential customers and they'll make little introductions to you if they like you. Um, a lot of times they are interested in trying something else. If maybe you compete on price or maybe you compete on uh, a new sort of area of service or whatever. Uh, but just basically getting out and talking to those people is important. And then similar vein to both of those is starting some, some PR preparations. And so PR is something it's public relations and it's basically, uh, I mean, the, the industry of public relations has been around ever since the news and news media has been around. And basically it's just reaching out to news outlets and getting coverage. Um, at least that's like the, I'll just call that the really dumbed down version of PR. I'm not a PR person. There's people who make this their job, so They do way more than that, obviously. But, um, for, for those of us with a side project, PR is, putting together a list of blogs and news outlets that might cover your side project and then keeping up with them and starting to follow them, maybe putting together a special landing page for them. And then, you know, once we do launch the project, we want to actually reach out to them and like start talking to them. I, I think another thing that I would kind of like to point out is that if you've already launched your product there's no reason that you need to like stop and pull it away and restart this list or anything like that. It's more just like if you've if you've got a product or an idea for a product and you just are clueless on how to market it, this list can kind of give you a place to go from. So, um, yeah. So, you know, it's not like it's this perfect entity that tells you exactly step-by-step how to be successful. That's something I can't promise, but it does give you some bit of a starting point and a bit of a like a compass to to guide you if you're just completely without a clue like I have been. So would you uh, would you recommend yeah. doing stuff on the pre-launch list before you even start building if you haven't started building yet? Yeah, if you can. Yeah, right. If you, you know, a lot of developers they they do this backwards like I've typically done this backwards with my side projects and that's part of why I built this list because I want to improve how I'm building things. But 
Um, what a lot of developers do is they end up building a, a little product that maybe scratches their own itch. So something that's very useful to them, but maybe not, they don't know if it's useful to anyone else. And then a lot of times they, they start to think, oh, well, maybe I could sell this thing. Um, and then they might want to visit the side project checklist. Um, but that's not necessarily, you know, you don't have to go about it that way. I think a better way would be to do some market research, do some talking to customers before you actually spend the time writing code. Because, write it, you know, we've only got so many hours in our lives, no matter who we are, and writing code takes time. So the longer we can put off writing code, and sort of hedge our bets by knowing what's going to work and what won't, um, knowing how to prioritize our, our features that we want to build. That's really important. It can save a ton of time when when putting together a side project. All right. So what's on the uh, next up is the landing page. Yeah. So next up is a landing page, and I think a lot of a lot of developers um, maybe think that the product sells itself. Uh, it, and I think that's a pretty naive way to think about it. Um, the truth is that in most users uh, or possible customers you have will come in, look at your landing page, and leave and never try your product. So when you think about it that way, your landing page is like, it's a huge deal. Um, so we actually, one of the first things I did after putting out this checklist was ask the people who subscribe to the email list that we put together, I asked them like, so what landing page tools are out there? Like I knew of five or six and then I got about 10 or 12 different suggestions and then I kept an eye out and looked around. And so then we put, I put together a big blog post of all the different landing page tools that I had found and a little bit of highlights on each. So um, I think that look, taking a look at that list or just looking around on your own, doing your own research for what landing page tools would work best for your needs is a good idea. And I also think that you should not try to hard code your landing page into your product and make it like, you know, this part of the product because you're going to leave a lot on the table. Um, you're either going to have to spend a lot of time on your landing page, like developing it, which is probably not the best use of the developer's time, or you're going to have to sort of do some weird, like, you know, integration with a, I don't know, some kind of third-party service that doesn't mesh up quite well. So anyway, to keep it simple, I usually like recommend or I usually set up my landing page on one subdomain and then the application, if it needs its own subdomain, I'll just put it on another subdomain. So once people join through the landing page or pay or whatever, then they get access to the application. You just have to wire up that little bit in the back end. Mm -hmm. And you, you can even do that manually. That's another thing that I think a lot of developers are afraid of when they launch a side project is, well, what if this thing takes off and I have 50,000 people who want to use it on day one and I have to manually add them all to a list somewhere? That's not, I mean, first of all, that's not going to happen, right? Like it would be great, but it's <laughs> yeah. just like the chances are, are stacked against you. Uh, the reality is you want five or six people to tell you this, this product is great or this product sucks so you can then know how to build it better in the future. Um, and if your scale or your scope or whatever for your side project is five or 10 or even 100 customers, you know you can manually do some work on the back end to make it work. So um, anyway, landing pages are uh, a really like really helpful tool for getting people to, even if they don't want to like go ahead and, and use your product, they may want to enter their email address and get some updates when you make new you know, updates to it or maybe subscribe to your blog or download some kind of ebook. That's another thing you can do on a landing page. All that is like viable and a good way to bring in like possible customers. 
Yeah. Okay, so next is uh, blogging, right? Yeah, so email and blogging. And those two things, I mean, the email setup is pretty straightforward. Basically, at this stage, we're in the pre phase, so all we want to do is get an email address set up, uh, maybe standardize a template for the email. Um, but setting up a blog is um, another thing that I think a lot of developers are maybe um, more hesitant to do because it, it's kind of building work for themselves later. Um, and what I mean by that is in order for a blog to be really useful, to get the most value out of a blog, um, you pretty much are going to need to update it regularly, right? And yeah. so um, it's while I, I've, I've always found a lot of value in blogs um, and having a blog for any side project that I do, um, I also like writing more than some developers do. And so this may not be you know, the thing you want to do on day one or pre-launch, but it's something to look at. And so in this part of the checklist, basically we list off a bunch of blogging platforms. There's another area where there's a ton of them and I, I, I'm sure I didn't hit even a tiny fraction of them, but I got some of the biggest ones in this list. Um, and then some little ideas about keyword research, which is something that I'm still learning a lot about. Um, you know, I, being not a developer, not a marketer, more of a developer, um, I, I really didn't know a ton about search engine optimization. How I, I knew at a high level how Google would rank articles, um, but there's a lot that goes into it. So people have built all these tools to estimate um, how well your site would do for certain keywords and things like that. Those are some interesting things in there. And then another thing that if you do have a blog that I've found really helpful is sitting down and having a brainstorming session. So if you leave yourself the task every week of coming up with a new blog post idea, you'll quickly run out of ideas because you won't be in the right mindset to generate ideas um, when you have to do it. And so I, I'm all about doing prep work before in big batches and then just carrying it out little by little throughout the, the month or week or year or whatever. And if you really are against writing blog posts, you can hire a blogger and it's honestly, it's not that expensive. Um, people on Upwork, um, freelancer.com, both good places. And you can get native English speakers or native whatever language you've got speakers. Um, and it usually, I, I, I don't want to promise this, but usually you can work in the range of 20 to $30 an hour and get really high quality stuff. So a blog post may take them one or two hours. And you think about as a developer, your time might be worth more than 20 or 30 hours to, uh, or 20 to $30 an hour to you. So hiring someone else to do that may not be a bad investment. Um, but anyway, a, a blog post brainstorming session, what I'll typically do for that is just kind of like clear an hour in my calendar or 30 minutes in my calendar, take a look at a bunch of competitors' blogs, take a look at a bunch of news sites, take a, there's a few other links in here in this, in the checklist that give you some ideas for inspiration and just like write down as many crazy ideas as I can. And a lot of them are not good. A lot of them will get weeded out, but I may come up with 50 or a hundred ideas in, in an hour. And I, from there, I'll at least know every week when I come in to do a blog post, Hey, there's something I could write about. So that's typically, um, you know, a, a good step to take if you're going to have a blog set up um, on day one when you launch or even just after or a month after, a year after, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I am pretty familiar with, I think a lot of developers want to set up a blog and maybe even social media. And I totally skipped over the email section. And that seems something that's kind of foreign to me. 
or probably foreign to a lot of people. So can you talk more about email? Yeah, definitely. So email is, and I'm, I'm, I was in the same boat as you, Adam, like before I got into, uh, I'm trying to, really it's just been in the last few months that I've started to like learn the power of having an email list. Um, and I wish I could remember all the, the, there's a, there's a lot of different posts that I've read on this, but basically the, the idea is that social media is great, but you don't really own your audience in the same way that you do on email. So for example, I may have a thousand likes on my Facebook page and that's great. But what happens when Facebook, like they have in the last couple of years, decides our algorithm is going to only favor the companies that pay us to keep their stuff posted in people's news feeds. Mm -hmm. And all other companies, no matter how many likes you had, no matter how many people really want to follow your stuff, basically just go off to the, the back of Facebook, which is like, you know, being on the last page of the newspaper. So yeah. to me, what, what's really compelling about email is once people opt in and say, <clears throat> you know, yes, I want to receive your emails and they're consistently opening them. That's like, I mean, that that's a connection that does not go away overnight and that Facebook can't, you know, cut off at any time. So I think email, to me, honestly, lately I've been thinking of email as being a much more powerful tool than trying to build up a social media audience for like my side projects. Because when I have a targeted email list of people who I know are interested in this thing that have told me they're interested, that's like my, I don't know, that's really the big asset for a lot of side projects, I think. So, you know, at this stage, before you launch, really the, 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 the thing you need to do is just have a way to collect emails. So putting something on your landing page that allows people to sign up. Um, and then you need to have like a way to send them once you're ready to start sending them. And so for me, um, I, I've used MailChimp a lot. Um, lately, I've been experimenting with another one. Let's see if I can remember what it's called. Um, but it lets you send emails straight from Gmail, which is kind of cool because for smaller email lists, it's a little more manageable. MailChimp is a bit... Um, I mean, it's a great tool, but it's also a bit more cumbersome. Is it um, Flash Issue? Yep, you got it. Flash Issue. So it's um, it's pretty cool. It basically lets you build an, uh, an email list within your Gmail account, and then you, you kind of add your contacts from Gmail that you want to directly to that list, and then um, whenever you want to send, you can just send it off to the people in that list and it all just operates straight out of your Gmail account. So you don't have to go log into another service, which is always kind of nice. Um, cool. But yeah, whatever it is that, you know, you can, there's, there, we have another blog post that's just a list of email marketing tools. So um, definitely a lot you can try in that space, but I would highly recommend it if you, you know, do have a side project. And another thing that's, I've found helpful is you don't have to create all the content for what you send in your email list. So for example, um, I built a, an email list for the side project marketing checklist and people who sign up are interested in side projects and marketing their side projects. I don't write a ton of content around that topic. So what I did was every week when I send out the email, I include one article that I wrote on the, in, in the, on the site and then five or six articles from other places that I follow on the internet that talk about side projects and marketing. And so it's like high quality, good content I've curated myself. It's stuff I liked and read. 
Um, and I'm just making kind of my personal recommendation and that keeps people engaged and like keeps people worth, you know, staying on the list for. Okay. Nice. So what about social media? Yeah. So social media is another, it's an area where I have, I feel like I haven't done a ton of work in lately either, but these are just some really basic things you can do to get started, um, building a presence on social media. So uh, there's a service called Noem, and it's K-N-O-W-E-M.com that will let you look for the availability of names on social networks. So basically it's just like, say I want to get um, that guy uh, on every social network that I can, right? So I'm going to go to Noem, and I'm going to type in that guy, and I'm going to see if it's available on like five or ten or whatever social networks like Pinterest, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. That's awesome. <clears throat> yeah, so that can save you a lot of time if you're still deciding, you know, what domain to use and what name to go by. Um, but, you know, if you're if this project is very tightly tied to you, you might just be able to use your personal social media. Um, you may not want to do that. I would recommend not going for like trying to do every social media account because chances are you're you're not going to keep up with actually posting on all of them. You may want to go ahead and reserve your name on all of them, but you probably don't want to have to like make yourself post on every different social site every week because it's just it, you're not going to stick with that. Yeah. Um, I've also found that social media sites, they're because they're so non typically they're so not targeted it's really hard to find um, or to get actual customers like from your posts on social media. It's more of a long-term branding thing. And for side projects where you're only spending a few hours a week on them, you may or may not get much value out of that. So something to think about. Cool. All right. So that's the uh, pre-launch. Yeah. So at this point, you know, the, typically this is about when, I would want to launch a side project. It's like, I feel pretty good about knowing what is like, what the industry is like, what the customer, what my customers might be like. I've got a landing page, I've got an email list, I've got a blog set up. And now it's like, I got to get out there to the, to the wider world. And so all the things in the post launch section are, I mean, you can do them in any order and it's going to depend a lot on what your product is and how much money you want to spend on it, how much time you want to spend on it, et cetera. So I kind of broke this out into three different um, sections, uh, customer outreach, which is just directly contacting uh, customers or potential customers, free promotional channels, which are just like places you can post your side project, things you can do for press coverage, et cetera. And then um, the last is paid promotional channels, which gets you into like advertising, buying um, Google AdWords or getting sponsored posts on Facebook or whatever. And so it's, you know, there's, the, once again, like with any part of this checklist, the goal is just to give you a bunch of ideas and you can decide which ones matter the most to you. So starting off with customer outreach, um, obviously the easiest way to get a customer is to have already kind of warmed them up before this. So those people that you, talk to when you did your customer research are probably the best people to go, you know, reach out to at this point and say, Hey, I've launched my product that I was talking to you about. Here it is. Um, here's a coupon code maybe that gets you half off for a month. Thanks for helping me out. And, you know, go sign up if you want. Um, 
Another, you may want to start doing some cold calling. I'm personally not not good at this. Um, I think a lot of developers do not like doing it. <laughs> but I, it's funny because when I posted this list, um, one of the, the top comments immediately on Hacker News was, cold call 20 people should be the first thing on this list. And <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's a sales guy. Like, I wish I were that guy. Um, and it's probably true that that it would it would help you decide whether or not to build a product much faster if you could get in touch with 20 people who might be good customers on day one and, you know, they'd tell you yes or no. But the reality is, like, for those of us who have full-time jobs, <clears throat> sitting around and calling people for a day is going to be tough, um, and especially if you're not used to it and you don't have a system set up and you don't you don't even have the phone number, so you got to find those, source your own leads and all that. Yeah. So, so I... I'm a realist. I don't think this is like cold call 20 people is something you have to do, but I think it's a, if you could get in touch with 20 people who might be good customers, that'd be a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so what else in the uh, post launch do you want to kind of yeah. highlight? So one of the other things I'll highlight in the free promotional channel section, the, the first item in the checklist is, um, posting your product onto directories and review sites. So I have a link to um, a guy named Matt McCaffrey put together a huge list of places to post your startup. <clears throat> and it's like initially before I built the whole side project marketing checklist, my thought was maybe I should just, you know, focus on this one area, like where places you can post your side projects for free. And I realized Matt McCaffrey already had this great list and I was like, I don't want to redo open source work. I mean, that's the whole point of open source is that we can build this you know, stuff together. So instead, I contributed a couple things to Matt's list and then just added a link to it in the side project marketing checklist. So I think that ended up being a good, um, a good way to go. And Matt's list is like hundreds of websites that will let you post your startup. I honestly, I don't even know where to start because it's such a big list of places that you couldn't possibly, like you could spend days and not make a dent in posting to all of them. So they all take a little, you have to register on every one of them. They take some time. Some of them make you confirm your email and pay like a dollar. Most of them are free. Um, but anyway, so that's one way to do it. I also think that for people who are, um, for developers, I don't want you to get the impression that posting to all these sites will make your project take off because that's likely not going to happen from those sites alone. Right. Um, it, it might be a good long-term strategy to post a little bit on the, some of those sites every day, every week or every day or whatever, um, but they're not going to be like this silver bullet. And so it's just one more strategy you can try. Um, other things here, I, I like the idea a lot of once you do, if you if you're into blogging and you do that consistently for a while, um, there's this idea that uh, pro the guy who runs problogger.com talks about. Uh, he he calls this thing a sneeze page, and it's basically like a collection of your best blog posts in one place. And the goal of that po that post or the the page or whatever is just to highlight to new visitors who have not kept up with your blog over the course of years here's the stuff you really want to get started on. So I'm a big fan of um, ProBlogger and his, uh, I don't remember the guy's name, but um, 
his book uh, that he did is like there's a book called 31 Days to a Better Blog that he wrote that I always recommend to people who are getting new, who are new to blogging um, because it's a really good like simple step by step do a little bit every day type thing it's it's kind of like a checklist and one of the things that isn't mentioned in that book is a sneeze page and so once you have I don't know 10 12 20 100 blog posts take a take some time put together a list of the best of them and then make sure that that gets highlighted on your site. Another thing you can do that's I, I just picked up in the last week or two is once you've got this list of your best blog posts, every time someone subscribes to your email list or likes your page on social media or whatever, send out to them, hey, thanks for liking us, here's our best blog posts. Because that's content you know that really might interest them um, at that point. They've just expressed some interest in you and so you really wanna like let them know what it is you're offering. Yeah, so it's it's like a it's like a start here page basically. You would just say or it could say best it could say best post, best episodes, whatever. Yeah, I it's funny. I didn't actually mention much about podcasts in the whole checklist because I've never done a podcast. So, Adam, if my challenge to you might be uh, make a pull request to add something about podcasting in here because I think it could use a podcast sort of uh, link and I have no resources for podcasts either, so I'd love to see some. Right. Well, uh, one of the things you did say is under paid promotional channels is sponsor podcasts, but under yeah under free promotional channels you could you could say be a guest on a podcast. Right. That's a good that's a good one. Um, and it's very similar to guest blogging. It's just a new yeah. medium for sort of the same idea. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people I've seen are starting podcasts as well as a way to promote their brand or their their product or whatever it is. So yeah, for sure. I don't, yeah, I don't think that's like, I don't think podcasts have to be their own. Um, like I'm just podcasting for podcasting sake. Well, that's great. Um, I think they could also be, I'm podcasting to kind of promote my side project or whatever too. Yeah. Uh, starting your own podcast could be a lot of work, but being a guest on podcasts is pretty, pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have always been in the guest seat, never in the, the work seat. So I agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else in the paid promotional channels you want to talk about? Um, you know, I would, I, I will say that um, once you've gotten a bit further in um, into your product and it's, you've got maybe some, you've already got some paying customers, you've got a little bit more mature of a, business and pricing model and you kind of feel like you know what you can charge for things, you may want to experiment with online um, ads. And I'll, I'll just kind of mention a couple things that I've found at startups I work for. So um, there, I, I used to work for a startup that did a lot of search advertising and they could, the my CEO there was really good at um, finding like sort of these, I don't know, just like niche searches that would then get people in to buy a product or to click off to an affiliate page. Um, and we would just, once you get that, um, if you know you have a margin to work with, uh, you can pay like say a dollar per click to get to my site, but every person who visits my site is worth $5 to me. That's just pure profit. And it's hard to get there. I think you have to have a pretty mature product with a pretty, um, good knowledge of how much it costs to do everything on your site. So it may not be a, the first thing you do, but eventually once you've got some um, traction, I think going into like trying Google AdWords, Facebook ads, LinkedIn ads, 
all those I've heard pretty good things about um, for people who are a little further along. So once your side project is a little less of a side project and more of like a, hey, this thing's really happening, then I think thinking about paid ads is a good idea. Plus, you know, you don't want to like spend a ton of money if you don't know that it's kind of going to work or you're going to stick with it. Yeah. All right. So we probably don't have time to cover the stuff under recurring and the stuff under optimizations unless uh, there's a couple of things in there that you want to point out. No, I, I, the one thing I'll say about this, the, like the last section of recurring or the next last section for recurring things is what's important is that you come up with, after you've done sort of the first bunch of things on this checklist, come up with a list of things that you can do every week, potentially forever to continue to market your product. And so instead of thinking about this is I'm going to work my way through the checklist. And when I hit the end of the checklist, I'm done forever. And that's, you know, the end of the game and my side projects either taken off or it hasn't. It's not quite that simple. The reality is you're going to need to do some stuff consistently for months or years in order to make it happen. So that's where things like blogging consistently over a long period of time can start to bring you up in search rankings. Uh, Having an email list and consistently sending good content to them and directing them to your site can get people from like just barely aware customers to really engaged and contributing. Um, Social media, once again, it just takes time and recurring use. So um, the point in all that, that bit on recurring there is just keep a, whatever you do, keep a list of things that you want to continue to do even after you've kind of launched and, you know, are going on forever. And maybe even set yourself a time limit of, I'm going to do these things for six months. And if it doesn't work after six months, I'm going to kind of like scrap the project or revisit what it's doing and maybe, you know, readjust. Um, but you you don't want to like give up too early because you didn't just stick with something. And that's been, you know, my challenge in marketing my side projects. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I really appreciate it. You can follow the show on Twitter at Web of Tomorrow FM, and you can follow me at Agarhar. That's uh, short for Adam Garrett Harris. On the next episode, I'll talk with Kent C. Dodds about how to jumpstart your career. And here's my favorite song that I discovered this week. It's the acoustic version of Concrete Jungle by Ara. And I'm not actually sure how you pronounce that, but it's A U slash RA. Vultures sit on skyscrapers Watching for the ones who fall down first Everything you want in 24 hours But nothing you need Cracks in the pavement, scorpions Abandoned retail and poor becomes Amazon Prime, the new world power As long as it's cheap, we don't get no sleep No sleep at all, we're not Drown in the lack of your own words 
swimming with the sharks in your own bathtub With money to burn, wolves at your door, moon in the sky Last in the food chain, get the lights It's gonna get dark in nature's nightclub If we never learn, we don't get no sleep No sleep at all, when I'm done, oh